0: Amen! What an amazing, an amazing song, amen. And not just because these guys rocked the heck out of it. I mean, that was awesome. But, but seriously, the the lyrics of that song are so true. Uh, I I think as as um, I, I'm Blake, I'm the worship pastor here, and um, I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning. I've got like four different sources of notes here in case one fails me. So um, that's what that's all about. Hey, I I I want to talk real quick about this. We we we. As humanity, as mankind, we we gravitate towards stories of human kindness, don't we? I mean, we see these things on 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 the well, maybe not on the news anymore. Uh, we used to. We we see things on on, on Netflix, right? Stories, movies, uh, TV series. Uh, we gravitate towards those things. We we see things on on video blogs, which are cool now. could Say vlogs, right? Or, or is that back in? I'm getting old. Anyways. Like, we see these things happening all around us, and we sort of gravitate towards these stories. And we think, oh, man, that, that's awesome. They did the right thing. They did the right thing. Uh, here, here's an example of this. This is called the selfless donor. Uh, this guy right here, well, not that guy, um, this guy. Uh, this guy right here is selfless donor. He says, college, this is a college athlete, Cameron Lyle. All right? He says, he registered as a bone marrow donor in high school, but he promptly forgot about it. He goes on to pursue a career in track and field, right? And just a month before the final track and field championship in college, he gets, he gets a call. A guy needs a bone marrow donor. This guy actually put his career on the line, his, his future career, his, his goals, his dreams, and he went on to actually, he was a shot put star. He gave that bone marrow and um, saved a life. It saved the life of a man who was suffering from leukemia. It's crazy. Uh, This next one, here's another example. This is Anthony, uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. Anyways, this one's called Organ Swap. This guy right here, uh, he he says his decision to give his kidney to a stranger back in 2008 led to not one, but checks out four, four donation surgeries in a single day. All right, and I'm just going to read this. It says, the young man went through with the surgery after seeing a 60-minute program on live or- organ donors. His kidney saved Barbara, who's pictured right there, whose husband, check this out, donated one in return to a person named Alina, whose father gave then a kidney to Andrew, whose sister then gave a kidney to Luther. While not one of them had a single match within their own families, but the kindness moved forward. And they donated, and they ended up saving multiple lives in one day. That's, that's a crazy story. It's, it's interesting that these types of acts, these, these selfless in nature, they're not actually, they, they don't promote, they're, they're not self-promoting, right? They don't, they don't promote our own agendas and our own um, self-worth or, or, um, or, or our own physicality. In fact, they create hardships. I mean, the first guy, and, and by the way, I could have just sat here and told stories all day because there's tons of these out there. All right, but, but that's not why we're here. But the fact is that none of these actually made it easier for the person who donated the organ itself or gave, gave their, their time, their energy, gave away talent, future dreams, and all the things. They, did, they didn't actually promote the person who was giving. They helped somebody else. And see, I, I believe we, everybody in this room, nobody, nobody would argue that that's, that's a good thing, right? I, I don't think so, or at least you wouldn't admit it. <laughs> I think we would all agree that th- that's a good thing. Well, what is good? How do we know that? Why would we agree that those are good things to do? C.S. Lewis, old school writer, he has a, a book called Mere, Christi- Mere Christianity. And he talks about this, he calls it the law of human nature. All right, and it's actually much deeper. Than, than what meets the eye here. It actually goes very deep. It's actually a moral code that he would argue that is written on us and that we all subscribe to. We actually live within this unwritten moral code, uh, this unspoken moral code. We, we follow it very, very closely. We agree to it anyways, even when we don't follow it. In other words, we're not perfect, and, and so we, we, we pursue these things. We know they're right. Even when we don't follow it, we know that we should, and even when we don't follow it, we make excuses. We don't, we don't say, oh, the code doesn't exist. We just say, oh, well, there, here's the reason why I didn't follow the code this time. Does that make sense? We don't, we don't say, oh, oh, no, 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 the, there is not a code. We don't agree with that. No, we agree with that. It's just here's the reason why that didn't apply here, right? <laughs> That's what we do. Here, here's a couple of examples of this. This statement right here. Um, you know, we, we had an agreement. Hey, man, we had an agreement. Well, why does that matter? Who cares? There's an unspoken rule there about honoring an agreement, right? We agreed a, upon this thing, and so this, this must happen. There's an unspoken rule that that is the case. Otherwise, what does it matter that we had an agreement? How about this one? Um, do you guys like going to amusement parks, like back in 2019 and stuff? I love going to amusement parks. Um, The best thing about amusement parks is right when you get up to the top of a roller coaster and you realize that you're either going to die or have the best time of your life. It's like a split thing that happens. weird. But the worst thing about amusement parks is the lines, right? We go stand in line. See, there's an unspoken rule that I was here first means that I get to stand here and proceed in this exact order of things and you who came here after me stand right here and you don't act like you had to pee earlier and you were actually ahead of the line no we know that trick it doesn't work you know what i mean like i was here first that's that's a rule that's an unspoken rule hey leave him alone he didn't do anything to you leave that person alone why does that matter Do do you do you get what i'm saying here we have this moral code and, and, and it doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter if you're old or young. It, it, it's crazy. This, this, this moral code is sort of written on us. And even, even other civilizations across the world, it doesn't even matter. Because that's an argument, right? Oh, well, that's an American thing. That's a Western culture thing. That's just what they do there. Well, it turns out that's not the case. Because there's, 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 there's a baseline moral code that's written on all of us. And, um, and, and in fact, so much so that they, they did a study about this. This is crazy. Oxford University, it's like in, in another country. I think it's in England or something. Like really smart people go there, okay? <laughs> Oxford University. They identified seven moral codes that are baselines. And check this out. I think this, I think this is cool. Seven moral codes across seven continents. Guess what the rate is? for following these seven moral codes, 100%. 100%. And they list it like this, all right? Here's, here, here's what they call as plausible candidates for universal moral codes. Help your family. Help your group. Return favors. Be brave. I'm going to run out of hands. Anyways, I'm going to run out of fingers. Be brave. Defer to superiors. Divide resources fairly. And respect others' property. They see this code going across all seven continents, across every culture that exists, across language barriers, across, um, uh, across the, the cultural barriers that are, that are between young and old and, and different upbringings. It doesn't matter. There's this, there's this code that exists. And see, we might come in this room, and because we're a church and because this is what we do, we understand that there's a moral code, and we might ask the question, well, where does this come from? And I think you guys would easily see the progression here, that it would say that it was written on us by a creator, right? That's where we're going, obviously. Or maybe not obviously, I don't know. But then the question is, why? Right? Why, why, why is that the case? Why, why did God create us with this moral code, and, and what is this all about? And so we have to take it back to the creation story. (laughs) It's pretty much the only story I know in the Bible, so um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I I know one other one. Um, Let's pray real quick. Father, we're so thankful today, God, for your message right here. And I'm just praying in the name of Jesus that um, I would not stand in the way of this. God, that our hearts that our preconceived notions coming into this room or tuning in online or wherever it is that we're checking this thing out, God, that we, that we would not get in the way of you. Father, but your Holy Spirit would speak. That's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, if you guys want to turn with me, um, we're going to pick up in verses 26 through 30. Then God said, And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. If we want to understand this, this moral code, and there's a progression here, and, and, and it's so important that we follow this progression this morning. I, I, I hope you guys can just tune in with me here, all right? Because there's this huge progression. If we want to know where this thing is going, we've been in this series, right? The Simple Gospel. If we want to know where this thing is going, we have to understand where it came from. We were created, it lays it out right here, with an identity. And God says, right here in Genesis 1, that our identity is to be image bearers of the creator himself. We bear the image of Christ. We bear the image of God. He literally said right there in 126, he actually says it three times. He said in, in verse 26, let, let us make man in our image after our likeness, all right? Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. And he repeats it again, the next line. In the image of God, he created him. In case you didn't get it the first time, let's re- say it again, and let's say it a third time, all right? I feel like that's fairly important. Uh, Tim Mackey It's an amazing um, theologian and and teacher, and he puts it like this He says, The people of Israel were never to make images of God that would basically restrict God to a created being by man, but instead, God himself creates his own image bearer in his prized creation, humanity itself. And here we are. Our identity is image bearers. Here's what's crazy. (laughs) it's gonna sound silly you guys wanna know the meaning of life alright check this out we're created with an identity to be image bearers of God we are created with a purpose alright and and here and maybe there's arguably more but here I I can at least sort of get some foundational items for purpose alright these three things are just straight up listed right here one multiply and make more image bearers right? All the guys are signing up for that. I'm in. <laughs> We're to multiply. And, and, and in a serious note though, if you think about this, in the garden at the time this was spoken, um, everything was perfect. This is before the fall. So literally the physical act of creating more, if I have, uh, if I have an ant, let's just use Ernie's example from last week. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody remember? Never mind. Uh, if, I, if I have an ant, and I have another ant, and those two multiply, what's going to come out? It's not going to be an elephant, all right? It's going to be another ant, all right? And so here, here we are pre-fall, and you have image bearers of God himself to multiply, literally to fill the earth. That was, that was a, a charge, all right? Make more image bearers of God himself, number one purpose. Number two To rule over the earth on God's behalf. We know the the, uh, concept of an owner and a manager, right, in our culture. An owner is sort of like the one who created the business. They own the business. They um, care for it. Uh, But then they put in charge of the business to run the affairs of the business, to take care of all the details. They put in charge a manager, right? Or at least that's my understanding, (laughs) God literally put man on earth to rule over it on his behalf. Look, look back in, in Genesis um, chapter 1. He said this, Be fruitful and multiply, verse 28, and fill the earth and subdue it. All right, Number one. Two, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. So God told us to, to do these things. And, and then he says, uh, and, and then we know, with all this, because he said, let us make man in our image. Our third purpose is to live in communion with each other and with God. Multiply, make more image bearers, Rule over the earth on God's behalf. Not become God, by the way. That's that's the very, very defined but thin line that happens in, in the fall. We understand that? And number three is to live in communion with each other and with God. This is all through the context of perfect communion as God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Perfect communion with the Creator Himself. That's why we were created. We were created to take care of the earth and everything within it, to be stewards of God's creation on His behalf and take care of creation. We were created to have this perfect communion with God. So when we look back at those, um, those, seven, those seven examples that, that um, these smart guys from Oxford figured out across the, the seven continents that are sort of the shared moral code of, of humanity that we all ascribe to, when we look back at those um, None of them are in conflict. In fact, they all point to the garden. They all point back to these things. You don't have to be, let me, let me, let me just clear up a misconception. You don't have to be a Christian to live underneath God's earth, all right? We're here. I, now, Do you have to be a Christian to know God? Yeah, that's like the definition, all right? You don't have to be a, a, a Christian to, to exist in the earth that he created. We're going to get to that a little bit more in just a minute we exist we operate under these codes and we don't even know it this is what's crazy if you wanted to know the meaning of life check out genesis 1 26 through 30 our identity our job our fulfillment it's all right there so where have we been we've been in this series we've been in a series called the simple gospel and it's this progression we started with the fall 2 weeks ago do you remember when pastor chad talked about the fall The fall was also in the garden. It's the the thing that comes right after the the creation here. And um, Chad said this. He said that the good news is only good when we know how bad we have it. And so we had to go back to the fall because we had to recognize what happened. What happened in the fall was a break of communication, a break of communion, a break of trust, a break of all these things that we were created for with God in the garden all right, and um, we have to recognize what really happened there, and then we we look around our own lives, and we recognize we're living in the effects of that right now. We're living in the effects right now of what happened in the fall, and and, in doing so, our whole lives are spent trying to reverse the curse, right? I mean, we've created all kinds of things to help us. The, the, the curse was that, that man was going to toil in his work, right? There was going to be pain and, and labor pains and all these things that, that were involved with the curse. And we are constantly trying to reverse the curse in our daily walk with life. We're creating new technologies and we're trying to get back. Guess what we're trying to get back to? We're trying to get back before the fall. We don't walk around and say that, like, man, how did today go? Did you get any closer? Did you get any closer? You know, before the fall, did you get it? It's like, no. No, we didn't. But we do say, dude, check this out. I got this new car, and it goes 190 miles an hour. It's pretty sweet. I don't have to do any work. It actually does the driving for me. I can eat burritos, and the steering wheel, like, knows where the edges of the roads are, and it just keeps me right in there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I, it's like less and less work, right? We're, we're trying to reverse the curse. Last week, the sacrifice, Pastor Ernie talked about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. What was that about? That was literally God himself coming down to earth. And this is just a summary. If you haven't watched the last two weeks, go back and watch it. It's so important. But God himself coming down in the form of a man, giving himself as the only sacrifice that was, that was able to, to do the job, to give man another choice, another way back. Jordan just preached this thing. <laughs> he just said it. We took communion together. That's what happened. Jesus himself came down, God himself came down in in the form of a man, Jesus, to literally be the payment for those sins, to provide a way back to the garden. And yet, still in his love, he still gives us the choice to choose him. See, we look back so often, I think we look back at the garden and we go, Adam, Eve, you guys are such idiots. Oh, my gosh. Why did you do that? You messed it up for everybody. It's so simple. I mean, you had a tree of life. It's called the tree of life. You didn't get it. You could have eaten that one, but instead you ate the other one. The one thing that he told you not to do. And then we turn around and we choose the same thing, right? We we, we just turn around and, and and God's sitting here saying, "Yeah, I know, I know, I know how to mess it up." But but here I sent my son. Here's a way back. And we go. Ah, that's not good enough. <laughs> I'm gonna figure out another way. So then the question that we were left with at the end of last week was this. Do you believe? Do you believe that those two things happen? These are are foundational in our faith. Do you believe? Because this question demands immediate action. The response to this question demands immediate action. If if you're not at least curious, you're tuning online, you're here in this place, you're not at least curious about this thing then, man, that demands some, some immediate action. If you don't believe at all, then, then why are you wasting your time here, man? Go get some snacks for Super Bowl. Is that today? Sorry, sorry. my week early is like really planning ahead on snacks. Um, but if you do believe, if you say that you believe, then that statement has huge implications on what we do with our lives. Huge implications. In that, in that discussion last week, you know, we talked about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. And, and Ernie's mentioned this before. I don't know if he mentioned it last week, but, but um, did you know that there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus, about Jesus coming, that were fulfilled by Jesus coming? Over 300. Um, there, there's, a, there's a graphic, and I know Ernie showed it uh, a couple months ago, I think, about literally what that means if only eight of those were fulfilled. If only eight of those 300 prophecies were fulfilled, that would be like the equivalent of taking silver dollars, filling the entire state of Texas, which I'm from Texas, it's huge. And um, it is filling the entire state of Texas two feet deep, taking one of those silver dollars, putting a red X on it, throwing it out in the middle and stirring the whole thing up like a big pot and then the one guy with a blindfold goes out there and picks up the one coin with the X on it out of all the whole state of Texas of silver dollars, and it's the one with the red X. That would be the probability of just eight of those, and there was over 300 totally fulfilled. That's huge. Do we believe? It would be one thing if just one eyewitness popped up and said, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that guy. I thought he was dead, but then I saw him walking around. Uh, like three or four days later, and uh, I don't know, you know what I mean? But no, we don't just have one. We have at least four. Sorry, not four. <laughs> we have four. Um, we have 12 different appearances that we know of in terms of recorded different appearances over the span of 40 days and to well over 500 people in total who are eyewitnesses of a risen Jesus, That's a really elaborate magic trick, if that's what we're thinking. (laughs) No no other piece of truth in our world requires that much evidence, yet we scrutinize this more than any other thing. It's insane. All the evidence is there. The question is, do you believe it? And then Ernie said this. He said, how's your life proving it? See, what's, what's next in the gospel it doesn't even matter. It can't be next unless we, we, we go back and we remember these things and why we were created. Because what's next is this. It's the return and the renewal. It's the return and the renewal. Um, Paul writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And check this out in 1 Thessalonians. This is a letter of encouragement. This is a letter of encouragement because what they believed, Paul wanted to make sure that what they believed was not in vain. He says this, starting in um, chapter 4, verses 13, or verse 13. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. This term, asleep, is not literally taking a nap. It's, it's what we know as death, but it's death as a temporary death, all right? And, and you'll know that because the, the term "asleep" and what he, what he concludes here. He says that you may not grieve as others do, and check this out, who, do have, who have no hope. That's hopelessness. If, if death is death and that's the final end, that's hopelessness. Man, what a horrible life to live in such pain and sorrow and agony day after day and then we just die. That's not hope. Paul says, no, check this out. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. You don't have to grieve. For since we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He says, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Church, he's coming back. Amen? He's coming back. We should be encouraged by these words. I don't know that we're saying this enough. He's coming back. There is an end to this story. He is coming back. So what's our response? We goes on in chapter 5, same letter. He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and there's security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, he's talking about the world in general, but then he, and then he brings it back in right here to the church. He says, but you are not in darkness. Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Now, this term sleep is different. This term sleep is referring to an unawareness or or, or just like an apathy. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on a breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake, now here we go back to the other one, awake or asleep, we must live with him. We might live with him. Therefore, encourage, here it is, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing, he's and then this is my statement. He's coming back, all right. He's coming back. Be ready. When um. When my son was two years old, we lived down in the valley, and um. We we lived in a, a fairly big house, and um, we had these nice huge countertops, and they were they were uh, what's that hard material called? Like, you know, granite, right? Yeah, something. <laughs> it was really cool. Anyhow. We had these really high countertops. There was this big median thing across our, our our kitchen. It was like this huge island thing. And it was like for incredibly tall people, I guess. I don't know. But we had these like really tall stools to sit on them, right? And to get up there and, and the things like this high, even when you're sitting on these high stools. We, um, one night, my wife and I had um, watched a movie in the living room. that was kind of connected there. And my son's room was upstairs, um, like, like way upstairs. And... Uh, that sounded bad. It sounded like we could keep him in a dungeon or something. It was, just, it was just a regular upstairs, okay? We had watched a movie, and we had a bowl of popcorn, um, like one of those gigantic bowls of popcorn, you know what I mean? And, and then you eat the one thing, and then you think, I'm going to make another one because this is a really good popcorn. You make another one, you realize that you just ate four pounds of butter, and you can't do it anymore. And so we left the bowl of popcorn sitting up on the island, and we went to bed. And... Um, the next morning the bowl was gone as if a popcorn thief had come in and just taken the popcorn and nothing else all right there was no trail of popcorn anywhere it was just gone and we realized later that day that my son who's two years old had somehow come downstairs crawled up this mountain got this it was a glass bowl by the way it weighed like five pounds itself got this glass bowl filled with popcorn, made it down the mountain without dropping it or spilling it, went back up into his room and ate the entire thing of popcorn. Here was the kicker. He didn't know he did it. (laughs) This was when we realized that my son was a professional sleepwalker. We're trying to submit them for some awards and things like this right now. But this began a life of sleepwalking and, and furthermore, sleep eating. It was crazy because then it, things got even more elaborate. Like he's in there making plates of lasagna and stuff like this. In the middle of the night at 2 a.m., we come in, we find, like, full-on plates of leftover food. like, where, did you go to a five-star restaurant last night while we were in bed? What happened? And, 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 and it was crazy, Right. The aftermath was like somewhat destructive inside of his room. Somehow he never like managed to leave evidence in the hallways, but in his room, in his bed, it's like an explosion of spaghetti. You know what I mean? It's like, what, what did you do? You know? But, but I, I, I got to think, man. I got to think, what ways are we asleep? What ways? He, he uses the two terms there. He says sleep, and he says um, to be sober and, and don't walk around drunk. And yeah, yeah, he's, he's probably talking about, you know, alcohol consumption. Don't do that either. That's, that's bad. But, what, but what's the parallel there? It's not just talking about being sober from, from alcohol or drugs and influence. It's much more. See, let's, let's just get personal for a minute. Are we unaware of what's happening? Are we unaware that we're part of this bigger story, this much bigger thing that's happening all around us? And, and, and we're sitting here, and, and I got to admit, man, this is me. Netflix, average American watches 10 hours or more of Netflix. I mean, if you have that subscription, whatever the subscription is, 10 hours or more a week in binge watching. All right? If Cobra Kai's out, I'm watching like 30 hours. All right? It's crazy. Overeating, excessive behavior, social media. Social media alone uh, accounts for, on average, two and a half hours a day just on social media. If you factor in phones with that, it's, it's over five hours just, just doing this. We're trying to fill everything that the garden had for us with everything that this broken world has to offer. Chad uh, shared a story, Pastor Chad, in sermon prep this week about a, a Christian church that's just blowing up. It's just exploding in Iran in a country where it's literally illegal to be a Christian. So I researched the story and check this out. This is an article by John Bloom. I'm not going to read the whole article, but a couple of excerpts from the article. This was written, by the way, pretty recently, 2019, May 15th. He says, my new friend, he's talking about the, 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 the uh, couple that lives in um, Iran. He says, my new... Mo- yeah. My new friend lives in an Islamic country where sharing the gospel, if you're caught, will get you thrown into prison and likely tortured to extract information about other Christians. Yet he and his wife are daily, diligently seeking to share the gospel with others because they want to share with them in its blessings. He quotes 1 Corinthians 9, verse 23 there. Even more than they want their own survival. Each morning, this is crazy, when his husband and wife part ways, They acknowledge to one another that it might be the last time that they see each other. Can you imagine that? Like, we don't live life like that. She knows, check this out. She knows if if caught, part of her torture will almost assuredly include rape, probably repeatedly. He knows if caught, brutal things await him before a likely execution. For to them, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The article goes on to say that they, this couple spends a minimum, not just this couple, this church, they spend a minimum of four hours per day in prayer and in God's word, um, not because it's fun and it, this is like their pastime, but because they have to. They have to. Literally, their lives depend on it. They seek God because they have nothing else. And this is crazy. Check it out. this out. This is what scares me. It blows my mind. It says, a number of years ago, this man and his wife were given the opportunity to move to the States here, and they did. And after living here for a period of time, the wife began to plead with her husband that they move back to their Islamic country of origin. Why? She tells him this, and this is a quote from her. It's like there's a satanic lullaby playing here, and the Christians are asleep, and I feel like I'm falling asleep. Please, let's go back. That's scary, guys. We're here. We're here. I want to read a story real quick out, out of Matthew. Actually, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here. Jesus is telling a parable in Matthew chapter 21. Hey, be, be engaged with this. Go look this up later, all right? Matthew 21, write it down. Go read this story. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 28. A man has these two sons, and he goes to the first son, and he tells him to uh, tend to the vineyard that day, right? He says, go work, go work the vineyard. And the son answers and said, nah, not going to do it. Nope. He said, okay. But then when the, when the man leaves, his, that son that said, I wasn't going to do it, he goes ahead and he does it. He's like, all right, forget it. I'll do it. I don't know. He goes goes ahead and does it. The man goes to his second son, and he goes, hey, go work the vineyard today. Go do this. And the the son says, yeah, I'm on it. I'll do it. But that son doesn't do it. He actually doesn't go and do it. And so Jesus asks him the question. He says, which one actually obeyed the father? Which of the two sons? And and he's talking to a, a group of religious leaders, and they're like, Answer, like, well, the first one. He's the one that did it, right? He's the, he's the guy that did it. And check out Jesus' response here in verse 31. He says, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your, change your minds and believe him. Church... We got to wake up. We got to wake up, man. We got to wake up because, because he is coming back. He is coming back, and there is an end to this story. We were created in the garden, and we're moving back towards it, and here it is. You want to know the full gospel? Do you want to hear the full gospel? Here it is real quick. We as humankind were created as image bearers of the Almighty, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth to have perfect communion with God, heaven on earth, and, and to live in known in what is known as the Garden of Eden, right? We were created for eternal life, eternal purpose. We were given everything needed, everything imaginable, including love, to the point of a choice even to the point of our own choice, and that choice we chose to live by our own definitions of what was right and wrong. We chose to take authority over God rather than submit under God and to be stewards of what he gave to us, ultimately leading into our separation of of humanity and God. We got kicked out of the garden, and we've been trying to get back ever since, only to come up with cheap, fleeting versions that never rival the real thing. But, Even still, God's great love for his creation sent Jesus as a full payment for our sins, for that sin nature, another way back. He provided another choice for all mankind to turn back to him and place him back on the throne. And here it is this week. He will return. He will bring the earth back to its original state. He will be coming back. He will be bringing the garden back and everything that it represents. The question is will you be there? Will you be there? The garden is the perfect place for communion with God. It was perfect for purpose. And it was perfect for provision of life and everything in it, eternal life, everything that we were created for. Will you be there? No one wants to talk about this, but guess what? Hell is real. I'm not saying that to freak anybody out. We got to know. Are we loving each other to the point where we're challenging each other to wake up? Do I care more about you and your eternal state than I do about you and your comforts and and, and avoiding a difficult conversation? We got to wake up, church. He is coming back. Do you believe it? How is your life proving it? Both Chad and and Pastor Ernie have have said this this statement, inspiration without transformation is simply more information. If we just come in here and feel inspired or moved from from this or that, and then we move on and we do things the same way and there's no transformation, we've just sort of, we've been consumers. We consume it. Take it in. Take it in. Take it in. I want to, uh, the band's going to come out and sing a song about the, literally it's called the Revelation Song, about the conclusion of all this. And uh, I, I, I want to invite, uh, we have some people who are here ready to pray with you. If you're, if you're here and, and, and that's you, can you come on up? Yeah, Pastor Brian's coming up. And... Um, I just want to extend this this invitation to you guys. And if you're online, there's people literally in the chat rooms right now ready to pray with you. If you're coming today and you're just hearing this and you recognize that there really is a God, there really is a purpose for life, there really is an order to all this and there really is an end to the story and you want to be included in that, there's hope. And I want to invite you guys to literally choose that choice that God that God made available on the cross. Will you turn your life back to Him and say, you know what? I don't choose my own definition of right and wrong anymore. I'm going to submit to a risen Savior, a real God, Jesus Himself. If you need to come down and, and pray that um, one of these guys would be glad. He's, he's wearing a wrong jersey, I guess. Anyways, uh, one of these guys will be glad to uh, May want to pray on this side. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I have no idea was even playing. And just it's, can we take this time right now to 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 do that as uh, as the band leads us through the song? Let's pray, Father. We're just we're thankful for your love, God. We're thankful that you made a way back. And God, we pray. Uh, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to wake up, God. Help us to wake up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.